sometimes you just need to inspire people in a simple way to say, yes, we notice you. You may think nobody in the world is noticing you, but somebody is at your back and they're seeing you. Hi, that was Susan Block, founder of The Designing Block. I'm Nancy Scanlon Coppler, and welcome to Woman Overboard. Have you ever been told that you go overboard? Or maybe you have a friend, a partner, or a crazy aunt who overdoes it at the holidays. Someone who is overly ambitious, overly excited, and gets overwhelmed because she tends to overdo everything. Well, welcome to my world. I'm Nancy Scanlon Coppler, and this is Woman Overboard, a show about women, leaders, mothers, and entrepreneurs who are dedicated to making a difference. My guests would not be where they are today without being the overachievers that they are. Women who, I believe, put a positive spin on the words, woman overboard. Today I have a great guest who definitely fits my description of an overboard woman. And in her case, she does so many things to wonderful excess that, in fact, I became overtired just reading her bio. She's an entrepreneur an interior designer, a philanthropist, a community organizer, and a volunteer. She's Susan Block, who founded The Designing Block in 1980, one of the premier design firms in St. Louis. And then, in 1996, she took it one step further by putting a retail store on the block in Clayton, Missouri. It's a fabulous boutique where she sells the most amazing things for the home and the shiniest objects that you've ever seen. The first time I approached the designing block, the sign on the entrance said, your husband just called and he said to buy anything you wanted. Well, that was my invitation to go overboard. So I left with a van load of her much needed merchandise. Susan, welcome to our show. Well, Nancy, I'm so excited to be on your podcast and I love everything about you because you're kind of an overboard person yourself. <laughs> well, thank you. Coming from you, I guess that's somewhat true. Susan, just in reading your bio has made me wonder, how does one person accomplish so many things? You've chaired more fundraisers in St. Louis than I ever thought even existed and raised over 500000 a year for Children's Hospital and two years in a row raised over $2 million for the Diabetes Fund. With all this hard work and dedication to others, how have you found time for your husband and family? Somehow you can always find time to help other people. And I think you still can take care of your family. It's a lot easier, too, once your kids are gone. I have older children, so they're out of the house. So I just find time. So how in the world did you get started in art? You've got an extensive career helping others with your artwork and with your creative talents. When I was young, I was always artistic and I started taking private lessons on Saturdays when I was in about seventh grade. I took oil painting every Saturday, which I loved. And then in college, I majored in fine arts. So art encompasses so many areas that once you have a good eye for design, it doesn't matter what you studied. It all kind of overrelates to one another because I color sense of style, whatnot, at all encompassing. And I heard, if you don't mind my mentioning this, that you had a tiny little thing, a way of learning in school that kind of helped continue your art, that helped you get deeper into art, a different way of learning. Is that true, that you were dyslexic? Oh, I wasn't dyslexic. They didn't know it back in my day that people had learning disabilities. 
I was told I was stupid or something like that. But then, but I was very artistic. So when I would flunk other classes, I did go to summer school every year taking math, but I just excelled in art and sports. And for someone who was told she was, quote, stupid, I'm sorry to even use that word, you went to one of the premier institutions yeah. in now, the country. Now, I couldn't have gotten into that school when I graduated from high school, but I went to another college for two years, and I had a wonderful English teacher that saw I was struggling. And she made a deal for me and said, how about if you have to do a one-page paper, you only do half. If it's a 10-page paper, you only have to do half. Because I was always so concerned with length that I could never get started. But she gave me the confidence. And then all of a sudden I realized I wasn't stupid. I really was smart. I ended up getting an A in that class. I ended up making the dean's list. And then being on the dean's list for two years, I made it into Washington University, which I would not have made it into. And speaking of Washington University, that's what I wanted to bring up, one of the top universities in the country. You're on the Board of Governors. You were named a Distinguished Alumni by Washington University in St. Louis in 2011. And with those kind of credentials, if anyone would have believed that you had any problems in school when you were younger. But I think in our day, like you said, it was just a learning style difference. No, it was. And if everything was rote, Turns out I'm a non-traditional learner, and I was always taught traditionally. And not everybody does well in traditional learning because I think as an artist, I was a born artist, and you see the world a little differently than somebody that's a little more cut and dried with... They use a different side of the brain. Right. Well, exactly. You're like in the art world like Einstein was to the math world. He flunked math, and then look what he did. Right, right, right. And I used to drive my father flipping crazy. How can you not understand this? And I was like, <laughs> it's like a Greek tragedy. I just don't get it. But, I get it. Yeah, I, I you know how I that did is. nuts with math, too, yeah. because I didn't get it. So I hear you established the Susan Sanders Block Silver Ripper Award. Oh, my gosh, that sounds intriguing. What is the Silver Ripper Award? Well, this is an award I give at Washington University to a junior in fashion. Because when I was in school, I had been a painting major for the first couple of years in school. And then my father said, you need to major in something where you can make some money when you get out of school. You can always paint. And so I switched to fashion. I never could sew that beautifully, where some people just sewed. So I would rip and rip and rip. But having been told so many times when I was younger that I was just above a moron and blah, 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 I decided to do more of an inspirational award. So a lot of times there are students that are struggling like I struggled but then a teach, you know, somebody is noticing that, yes, you really are following the rules, you're listening, you're trying really hard, whereas other people don't even have to study, they just, everything they do is golden. And since Susan knew what it felt like to struggle as a student and rip and rip and rip her own designs, she established the Susan Sanders Block Silver Ripper Award. In the shape of a seam ripper, this pin was awarded to a promising student whose flagging confidence was making her want to give up. After getting the esteemed award, parents of these students would approach Susan beaming as they said, Our daughter called last night so down that she wanted to drop out of school. Now she's on top of the world. Let's return to our conversation with Susan Block. This gave them the confidence and some went on to be designer of the year, their senior year. So sometimes you just need to inspire people in a simple way to say, yes, we notice you. You may think nobody in the world is noticing you, but somebody is at your back and they're seeing you. What a heartwarming story. 
And speaking of fashion, which you're so involved in, you've been on the board of the St. Louis Fashion Fund since its inception. Can you talk a little bit about what that is and what it's done for St. Louis? Oh, it's so exciting because we're trying to bring fashion back to St. Louis. Fashion's a multi-billion dollar business. And it used to be huge. St. Louis used to be second to New York. And we're trying to bring it back. And so we started, well, actually, there are a few people that were the main people, like Susan Sherman and Tanya Beasley and Sharon Tucci, but all came together and decided to start this fashion fund. So the first year, we had a nationwide search, and there were six fashion designers that came in, moved to St. Louis, and they've been giving them all the help to get on to the next level of fashion. And in fact, I know your daughter-in-law is one of those very cool people. And I can be proud of her and brag about her because she's my daughter-in-law, right? Right. In the St. Louis Fashion Fund's nationwide search, they chose six talented designers. Agnes Hammerlick of Chicago, Emily Brady Coppler of St. Louis, Audra Noyes of Delaware, Allison Mitchell and Charles Smith of Dallas, and Ruben Ruel from Brooklyn. We're so proud to have all of them as an integral part of our St. Louis fashion scene. We're trying to make a big impact in fashion and because there's so many jobs. It's not necessarily about being a designer. There's jobs in packaging, transportation, sewing, pattern making. And eventually they're hoping that they can bring a lot of these things to the schools because everybody needs background people and they are just as important as the designer because it takes a team, as you know. Absolutely. And we're finding that it's a lot less expensive for the designers that moved here that being able to have it produced in St. Louis really kept their costs down. Oh, I'm sure it does. Just just traveling alone becomes exorbitant. Totally. So speaking of fashion, you have your own unique style of dressing. I run into you, of course, at almost anything I go to because you're involved in every fundraiser in St. Louis. And if I show up, there you are, running it, speaking, (laughs) or getting an award. But you always have some great piece of jewelry, some great necklace. How did you develop your own unique taste? When I was in college, I used to wear a lot of jewelry. I mean, and I had red fingernails back in the day when nobody had red fingernails, <laughs> like first. in the early 70s. They called you Dracula, probably. I always wore a ton of bracelets, and I'd have a couple rings on, and that was a big joke in college. Okay, Sanders, that was my maiden name. How many pieces of jewelry do you have on today? But I would be at, in painting class, and my bracelets would jingle, and my painting professor Miss Sanders, do you always have to jingle like that? But you can always hear the little clink of my bracelets. I love that sound. I love the sound. I love it. Other people that might be afraid to take that leap to develop their own look, how, how would you tell them to get started? You know, and how do they do it on a budget? You can do totally on a budget. I always tell people to find something they love, wear a bigger ring or a bigger bracelet. You walk into a room without even opening your mouth. If you're going into a meeting, people assume that you have a lot of self-confidence. Really? Uh Uh-huh. And that's the other thing. When you wear a big piece of jewelry, it could be men, women, in a store, anywhere. People remember you. It's a great way for anyone to talk to someone else because it's a non-sexual way to open up a conversation because someone can say, oh, my God, look at that ring or look at that bracelet. Where did you find something like that? Wow. I'm going to your shop right away after this and buy some new rings. But, you know, but but it is one of those things that over the years when I've gone to market, people remember me because I've had unusual big, you know, something on that people remember you by. And you carry it off so beautifully. Well, thank you. Thank you. And anybody can, actually. Have you ever tried to redo a room without a decorator? 
Do you find that you're just too scared to take a leap of faith? Stay tuned to Woman Overboard and get some surprising decorating tips from our guest and not-so-traditional designer, Susan Block. My name is Kathy Ferrara, and I'm the founder of K. Ferrara Color Nail Polish. At K. Ferrara Color, we offer a curated line of 16 perfect colors for your nails. They're sophisticated and elegant. What's different about our polish is that it's formulated to protect your health. We're proud to offer vegan-friendly and cruelty-free polish with a safer, non-toxic, nine-free formula that steers clear of the harmful chemicals that are found in most other polish lines. Also, check out our new children's line of polish. Choose healthy polish for you and your children at kferraracolor.com. Use promo code WOMANOVERBOARD20 for 20% off for a limited time. That's WOMANOVERBOARD20 for 20% off anything on the site. Welcome back. I'm Nancy Scanlon Coppler, and you're listening to Woman Overboard. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Susan Block, founder of The Designing Block. And now, let's return to our conversation. Speaking of fashion and beauty, you're a decorator, and you've been decorating for what, over 40 years? Close to it. <laughs> People's homes. I have a question. My husband and I seldom agree on anything, except our children. We, right, we right, all think right. our children are great. When it comes to decorating, he's so quick to weigh in. Some men stay out of it, but I say, hey, the home is my domain, but he wants to get involved. And I told him, we need to redo our master bedroom. Look at our bedspread shredded. He just says, go out and buy a new bedspread. I said, honey, it's a little more complicated than that. It needs an overhaul. So I wonder, do you find that you have to become a referee between a husband and wife when you're doing someone's home or bedroom or living room or whatever? I'm really good at talking husbands into buying stuff. I mean, not necessarily expensive, but just showing them why, you know, you can give. We all need you by our side when we're shopping. And actually, I've always worked well with people's husbands because they're like, now it's gotten to the point my husband won't let me do anything unless he asks you if it's okay. Great. You know, which is great. You got but, it with your ring, right? Yeah. You know, it's like you start talking to them and they get fascinated by looking at a big ring as you're talking to them. And, you know, <laughs> I never try to make anybody spend a ton of money. You build trust because so many husbands are so afraid of decorators right. for fear they come in and they're going to cost them a bloody fortune. And so that turns them off before you even walk through the door. I'm so glad you mentioned that. That leads me to my next question. I was raised, in fact, on the do-it-yourself design school. Mm -hmm. My mom tied bandanas around all of our heads and put a paintbrush in our hands, and voila, fun for the whole family. It was time to paint the living room. And by the time we were finished, the paint was everywhere but on the living room walls. So what tips would you give to someone who is on a tight budget and can't afford a decorator, maybe can't even afford a painter? How would you tell them to start? If they want to raid you, say, a room. If you're not sure what your style is, buy a few design magazines. Or you could go online, print out some pages. But look at rooms that you don't like. You don't like. Start with what you don't like. If you're like. paging through the magazine, ask yourself what doesn't appeal to you. Circle it. And, oh, I don't like this color. Or you've turned a page. Oh, I like this room. Ask yourself, what do you like about the room? When you really look at all the elements, you might say, you know, I really don't like this couch, but I think it's the color of the wall. And you kind of circle wall color and, you know, write a note to yourself. Just start cutting out pages and you will find that even if you don't know what your style is, it forces you to all of a sudden, oh, I see now that I've looked at all those, I really don't like 
blue or beige or whatever. And I really don't like traditional or you find what you're attracted to. So at least you get a little sense of what direction, because a lot of people waste money because they don't know where the heck they're going. It's just like they are in a whirlwind, like, I don't know what one to choose. And and what about uh, like the secondhand stores? I love secondhand stores. I love flea markets. I love state sales. You can find the coolest pieces, look for shapes. You can always paint. I have shopped people's houses, you know, and they'll say, oh, I need new, you know, by the time we finish shopping their house, moving stuff around, maybe all they needed was one new lamp and they thought they needed all new couches. So it's sort of the art of positioning. What is mm-hmm. that? The Japanese art of uh, feng, feng, shui. feng shui, right? Yeah, and I don't even worry. Maybe not feng shui. Yeah, but... and so many times people just don't have stuff placed in the right places. And they think just because they inherit something or they pick something up, just because their mother always had these two tables with this couch, with this chair, with that thing that they have to recreate that. And sometimes you just move pieces around your house. And then even if it's not museum quality, which is 99.9% of people's things, but the shape is good, but you don't, it looks, doesn't look right anymore, paint it. Put new knobs on something. And then all of a sudden... You would have loved my mother. She painted it. Well, everything. you know, you do. You paint it. I had a client and she goes, oh, I've got to get rid of this sideboard. It was heavy, dark, It had been our mother-in-law's. And she goes, I'm getting rid of this when we move. I can't stand it. I'm like, oh, no, let's paint it black. And then we put contemporary knobs on it. It is so fabulous. Everybody walks in like, oh, where did you find that piece? Well, it looked like an old Victorian, not really Victorian, but sort of of that ilk. When you just look at the shape, it was actually very contemporary, even though it was from the 19, you know, maybe 1918 or something. Well, I feel like I did something right. I had my... We inherited my sister-in-law's, well, the furniture that my husband's grandmother had bought for her children, and then we inherited it for our children. And then as they got older, they, it was white. It was like a changing table. I changed the knobs, painted it black, and put, like, sports knobs on it for my son when he was a teenager. And we have gotten more usage out of that dresser. But see, that's what's so much fun. Some of my favorite pieces I own are ones that have been like that. I paid maybe 15 or $20 for and people are like, no way. And I'm like, yeah, it doesn't There, The one thing I say, people always think, oh, if you have a designer, it's going to be expensive. Trust me, it's not. Sometimes a designer, even an hour's worth of their time, can help you go to the right start. Well, save you money, too, and time. Because sometimes I'll just say, no, have you ever thought about doing this? I'm like, oh. And I mean, sometimes people are like, I can't believe all my life I've had this couch here and this table here, and then you just moved it around, and it's like the room works when I never could get it to work. But And besides that, it's not about the cost of things. It's about the design. There's great design that you can find for a dollar in a, you know, an old store, and there's a lot of new things that cost you tens of thousands of dollars that are uglier than sin. And it doesn't mean it's great design. Right. You know, and so design has no price. Great design has no price. When you speak of art, and you did mention art, and of course you've got a great background in art, obviously you have some beautiful pieces of art. But it, for someone who's not a collector and wants to put a painting or a poster or something up in a room, how would they go about finding the right piece? Would they go by color? Would they go by the era? Or what would be... Or, or, and how much art is too much art? I don't think you can ever have too much art. But I think you have to have the right scale. Because sometimes people will put a tiny piece of art up on the wall 
over a sofa. <laughs> it looks like it's lost. Yeah. I mean, you have to, it's more about proportion. I mean, you can find some great looking art at Pier One and then resell it shops. I found a piece of art one time. I was working on a Habitat for Humanity house and I found an old from the 60s and it was a fairly, it was large, but it was this floral. And I mean, it was so kind of ugly 60s. But then I took polka dots and I put multicolored polka dots on top of it. Oh, my god! And gosh. it made it into the coolest piece. Now, see, most of us would be afraid to do that. And you know but what? you could get by with that. Well, you know, I think the painting was $20. And then I just, I actually did stickers. <laughs> put stickers, you know, like vinyl stickers on it. Only Susan can get away with doing something for which we would punish our children. Putting stickers on a painting. Somehow, what would otherwise be vandalism in Susan's hands turns into art. And then it's fun, too. You know, those old kind of oval paints of old-fashioned people kind of looking sort of. And it's fun to put like those cheap little eyes, put those on the frame so it looks like they're looking at you, like put it over a toilet, you know, or something. You know, just have fun with it. I mean, I always think you need a little whimsy in a room. You can have a beautiful room, but you have to put something in there that's just a little fun. Because too many people are too serious, and life is so precious, and you might as well have fun with it. I love your attitude. And I've heard that you are very talented also at arranging flowers, and that's something I've always felt like a klutz at. How do you pick out flowers from a garden and make it look like Martha Stewart, like you just picked them from an English garden? What's the secret to that? You know, it's hard, because I think, (laughs) because for me, you just start Yeah, but you know what? I hate when people, even if you go to Trader Joe's, which I love Trader Joe's or some, you know, place just are down in Wholesale Row. You get some flowers. But so many people just cut them off and stick them in. Clunk. Clunk. You take them apart and then have them at different levels. I think you just need to cut things at different levels. So not everything. Makes it look more natural. And you can just keep turning the vase as you're doing it. Okay. Because you always want to look at something from every side. And it's fun. I love to go to resale shops. I love to go to the dollar store. I love to find unusual things to hold flowers. I'm always looking. So it doesn't have to be a glass vase or a no, plastic vase. No, I think I anything. love old... Um, nobody really uses silver tea services anymore. Uh-huh. So I love those for vases when you lift up the lid uh-huh. and have flowers coming out. I and think then do you let it tarnish? You don't have to polish it? Oh, I have some. I have a whole bunch that I've collected over the years. A lot of them are just so bad that you can't have them repolished because the silver's worn off. And usually you can find those like at state sales. Well, that's good they to know. They don't cost you very much. They might You might get them for $10, $20. Because the next generation doesn't want our but silver. But it literally so. looks so beautiful. And then I have some other that I can polish up, but I buy them all. And that it really looks fun on a table. And, you know, nowadays, nobody wants a lot of stuff. So you go to estate sales. I find old cut crystal containers, and I mix it with silver. And then I'll mix it with dollar store things. I I mean, I just mix. The eclectic look, right? Oh, it's so much fun. You can just do all sorts of things. Always look to see what's different. So you you love art so much. Have you ever been involved? You've been involved with everything else in St. Louis. Have you done anything with the St. Louis Art Museum? I'm on their board. I've been on their board quite a long time. Well, not surprised at all. What have you done there recently? Have you? I chaired, I co-chaired um, Art and Bloom this year. Oh, I love yeah, we, that. We were supposed to have Martha Stewart in in February or the first week in March when Martha Stewart, uh, for Art and Bloom, and then she, she couldn't get in because of um, the storm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Margot Shaw from Flower Magazine, who was our speaker on Friday, agreed to be 
the speaker, wow. you know, take Martha's place the wow. next day. Thank God her initials were the same because we had done all these things <laughs> from perfect. And so it worked perfect. out great. And she was phenomenal. Nobody wanted her to stop speaking. And then just in June, Martha came in for one day. And I don't know how many people are aware what a secret our St. Louis Art Museum is, but it is one of the it's finest museums awesome. in the world. Right? It is. And we have there's so many great programs there. We just got a new singer sergeant that's beautiful painting and we had this ancient sunken treasures. And so we just have so many wonderful things at the art it's museum. It's incredible and I learned something. All those statues that were found in that sunken city in Egypt were preserved 2,000 years later because of the salt water. So and we all need to be coins, in salt water more often. Those coins, those little <laughs> coins, it was amazing the detail. And for how long ago they were made, it is just um, blows your mind is the right. detail. Salt water. Just but even the detailing when they made the things, right. it's unbelievable. I know. But, you know, we're just so lucky. We've got Washington U's Art Museum, um, the Kemper, which has some great exhibitions there. And we have a world-class zoo, and you've been on I've the been zoo on for, for 13 years. I've been on the board with you. You probably didn't yeah. see me. I was in the one in the back of the room at the lunches that wouldn't raise my hand because I didn't want you to know, be picked. I've chaired Zufari. I've chaired <laughs> Zoo. I do. Explain I've... what Zufari is. Zufari is their black tie biannual gala. And so every other year, they have a big black tie gala, and we always get wonderful entertainment that comes in. And you go around the zoo and you graze. There all, we get all these different wonderful restaurants from St. Louis that donate food. And it's all just grazing. We'll have maybe 60 different restaurants and bars. And then usually a fabulous band. It is fun. It's one of the we've things had my Huey kids want to... Lewis. We've had, you know, all sorts of people. It's a fun evening. My kids have come in from Chicago and New York to say, oh, we'll come in for the Zufari. Yeah, that's, a, that's probably one of the best parties in St. Louis. And... I, another thing I want to talk about, a good friend of mine, Boo McLaughlin's mother, started it, and that's uh, the Craft Alliance, and you chaired their 40th anniversary I gala. I did. How many years ago was that? Close to 10 years ago. But they have done, I mean, I remember when my children were little, they went to Craft Alliance classes. Right, mine so too. Can you talk a little bit more about what Craft Alliance does and how they Craft Alliance the has all these wonderful um, teacher programs that people can take, kids, they'll have children's programs that they can take during the school year, during the summer. After school, during the school year, during the summer, they have camps. And then they also have classes for adults. If you want to learn jewelry making, paper making, ceramics, fabric, fiber art, so many different things. So if you really, it's a great, and they have all these wonderful exhibitions. And they're now located now in our Grand Center by the Symphony. Mm -hmm. St. Louis has so many arts programs. And I'm on the Board of Arts and Education. And so we grant a lot of money to the arts. Oh my gosh. All that you do is making me tired. I see that you've also been involved with the St. Louis Symphony. Let me guess, you're a master concert pianist. No, I can't play <laughs> one darn thing. I can't sing. I am tone deaf. I have oh good, one. I'm glad to know there's no, something you can't do. I, I, no. Music and Susan, I never could learn how to do that. I've worked on their show houses and some other events that they've had. I've helped. I've helped a lot of different, but you know, you meet so many different people. And that's what's so interesting. Right. And people know you're a hard worker, and I'm sure you I'm get a worker bee. It's do... not once in a while I'll just say, I don't have time. But most of the time, if they ask me, I'll, I'll work it. <laughs> that's amazing. What do they say if you ask somebody a busy to get something per... done, ask a busy person, and that's you. I know. And then sometimes I'm like, oh, my God, why did I say <laughs> yes? It sounded so good eight months ago, but uh, it all works out. So with all you do as a designer, a volunteer, Philanthropist, what do you do for relaxation? Like, do you ever watch TV? 
I'm into I'm now watching my iPad. I love like just watching the different shows on YouTube and Amazon Prime. Right. No, well, not that it's so important. And then when I, I just... go on vacation, if I do like to paint. So I've been taking a few painting classes, things I never did before. You know, I'd love so to that... see a piece of your artwork. I'm sure it's amazing. Do so you have I, some hanging in your home? I do. I, you know, I took a watercolor class for the first time in February. I went to New Orleans for three days, took a watercolor thing from a woman in England. And then I did another class that was a 3D, kind of a sculptural so you're uh, always then, learning. Yeah. Which, which, I mean, you never, the day I know everything is the day I'm gone. You know, I you never will know everything. And it's really fun because you can start learning. I had never watercolor. I did it one, you know, when I was in grade school, you watercolored, but I never was interested in watercoloring later on. And it was really fun because my couple day class teacher kept picking up my painting, my watercolors and like, and my friend who's been a watercolorist for years, she goes, how come she's picking up yours and not mine? I've been watercoloring <laughs> forever. But, you know, I did a hummingbird. I'd never painted hunting, hummingbirds before. I did a street oh, scene in New Orleans. Fun. I mean, it was really fun. It's so but fun. But it's a totally different way versus an oil paint. I'm kind of artsy, too. Can... I went to the Magic House with my granddaughter, and I made a potholder for the first time since I was a Girl Scout. But see, that's <laughs> I was fun. So, but she was, I was so thrilled with myself. I wanted no, them but, to hang it up. I know, but it's a Magic fun? House. But, right. you know, it, it doesn't creative. matter what you make. Right. It's really fun when you say, I did it myself. Right. And, and when everybody compliments on it, it's so it good so for the soul. More. It's so right. good for the soul. And so I think that's all a part of being creative, you know, and so that's what's fun. And sometimes you just ask somebody's opinion a little bit, to, you know, if you're not quite sure, mm -hmm. get a little bit of opinion, but never ask too many people. And those who have not achieved their dreams and feel like maybe it's too late, what advice would you give them? It's never too late. I, it's never too late. Just, you know, you can always learn something new and never just say, oh, I just because now I'm 65 or 65, I can't do it. B.S. You can do anything. You know, you may not run a marathon, but you can do a lot of things. Great. Great. I like that. I like that attitude. And one thing I forgot to mention, you're the co-founder of the Spirit of St. Louis Foundation. Um, and a friend of mine is a member and loves her involvement. Can you explain the premise and how you've gotten so many other women in St. Louis interested? Well, Shelby Shake, Ren and I, it's a collective giving. And so we started it way before it really became popular. I mean, there were a few in the country. Her sister was in one in San Diego. And so Shelby and I met with some people. We talked to the head of the community foundation at the time because we wanted we knew that if you got women together, if we each gave a sum of money, we could make a bigger difference in the St. Louis community by pooling our resources than individually. So we decided that it would be $100 a month. And from what I understand from a friend of mine that's involved, Peggy, you have teams that go out and look at different organizations. Well, people apply. Like this year, we had, I think, 230 different organizations applied for grants. Were these all new organizations or just some new, old, whatever? But they have to be under a million point five in operating for the whole year. And so they read through all the letters of interest. And then they boil it down, I think, to 40. And they asked those 40 to write true grant proposals. Susan went on to say that the Spirit of St. Louis Women's Foundation, some 240 women strong, broke down into teams to do site visits. They became known as the Good Housekeeping Seal of Approval for nonprofits. And they boiled it down to, I think it was 28 
Uh-huh. And then we had a night that everybody came. They heard about each organization. And then it's a straw vote. And you vote for eight. And so then they count it, you know. And one vote can make a difference. And so and we don't ask people not to call people to say, oh, vote for my group. Vote for my group. We don't want that. We want it just what appeals to you. And it's just a fair straw vote. Everybody gives the same amount of money and everybody has the same power. What a wonderful way to come together. Yeah. A lot of the organizations that we started out, we were their first funders, like College Bound. Look how big College Bound is now. And um, quite a few others have become national programs. And it's just amazing when you give somebody a grant what they can do. And these are small grants compared to a lot. You know, they go up to $25,000. Oh, my gosh. It's enormous. And it is amazing what those organizations can do with even a $10,000 grant. By the way, sign me up. I'm, I'm really anxious to be a, a member of that organization. Anybody can join. We right. had to make I, it workable. You know, that's, you know, fiscally. Fis, you know, fiscally responsible. Work, yes. Right. Thank you. So I just want to mention, we've been talking with Susan Block, entrepreneur, artist, designer. And if you would like to get in touch with her to get any design tips, art tips, or how you can become more involved in the community, Susan, can you tell us how people can reach you? Usually the best way to reach me is by email. And my email is designingblock at AOL.com. I've made my shop into appointment only. So if one wants to get a hold of me, probably easiest because I'm not always at the shop to answer the phone. Okay. Can you repeat that one more time? Yes. It's designingblock at AOL.com. Susan Block, thank you so much. You are truly a woman, what I would classify as overboard. Everything that you do is overboard in the most exotic and artistic way. Thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate your time. Well, Nancy, I can't thank you for letting me be your first experiment in, <laughs> for overboard women because some of us kind of jump in and you never know what we're doing. We just kind of jump in and go there. That's what we have to do. And until next time, I'm Nancy with Nancy Overboard. And Susan Block, my guest, any words in closing that you'd like to add? Never be afraid. Just do it. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you, Nancy. This has been Woman Overboard. If you or anyone you know would like to be a guest on Woman Overboard, please contact me, Nancy Scanlon Coppler, at womanoverboard.com.